0: okay folks uh welcome to the hunting ain't easy podcast this is episode four and uh i want to i want to kick this off first by saying thanks so much for listening to the podcast we've had some great feedback so far um we're just three episodes in but i've really received some encouraging words which is which is great to see and you know there's been some friends of mine that's like hey you know go get them tiger but really the most the most uh you know encouraging Feedback that I've received is people expressing agreement on some of the concepts I've thrown out there, and um, some of them have been some controversial or potentially controversial ideas, like you know, giving up our two-tag system, going to a one-tag state for deer. I know that's going to have some detractors at some point, but overall, the feedback I've received has given me hope that you know the California hunting community is is. Is ready to work on some new ideas um, and maybe even take the lead in the arena of habitat and wildlife management um, from the hunting perspective to improve what we have here in the state and improve the opportunities that we have as hunters. Uh, for this episode, I'm not going solo. Finally, I've got a I've got a great guest on and I'm really excited because as as a platform, you know, my intention with the podcast is to have guests on that bring expertise and ideas and and information to, to us that that can help advance our, our understanding, um, of hunting as well as of, um, kind of the policy and, and issues that underlie hunting opportunity in, in California. So I've got Kevin Vella on with the, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, which I've botched several times. You've probably seen me call it foundation, but it is the NWTF National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, he's the Pacific Coast District Biologist, and so he'll correct me if I don't get this right, but he covers uh, Nevada and then the West Coast for NWTF. Um, and as I've expressed in other episodes before, I I'm, am I'm am I'm, i guess I would say I'm a big game hunter. I'm pretty much focused on deer and bear in California because that's all I've got the bandwidth for so far. Um, but I have walked in A Zone with a shotgun during turkey season <laughs> so um you know I, I think nwtf is doing some things and he, he'll get into this that that really overlap with with any anybody that's into big game or wildlife in general in the state of california um he's he's doing work that that benefits all of us and uh looking forward to hear more about that so kevin um you're a biologist and a hunter and i've seen that you've taken some really incredible bucks in the last couple years and i'm wondering you know does the hunter in you define you know the the biology or you know your role as a biologist or is it vice versa and then and then how you know how do you get to this place in life where you're you're professionally a biologist focus on you know habitat and 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 wildlife and and also get to go out and hunt quite a bit it sounds like
1: yeah yeah great question um I would say that my hunting definitely defines me and created that kind of love for conservation, that conservation ethic, and that's what brought me into becoming a biologist. You know, growing up hunting with my my family, I grew up in the very traditional role, you know, very unsimilarly to you, where my dad hunted, my grandfather hunted, my uncles hunted. I got nine cousins, um, you know, seven boys, two girls, and every single one has a hunting license. That's um. Yeah, we, we grew up in a, in a very big hunting family so um growing up and doing that it, it's you know it's kind of everything that i've always wanted to do it's, it's what brought me through to this career and it's what kind of put me in this path today so when i'm out in the woods it, it's still obviously you know hunter first um thinking of things <laughs> even if, even when i'm on a habitat project i'm scheming any way that i can get into a good spot to uh um to hunt but, you know, the biology background definitely does help. And, and just being an overall um, knowledgeable outdoorsman and, and having good woodsmanship and knowing your vegetation, knowing your plant species, um, knowing what animals like to eat and where and when, I think that really does help.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think those are skills and, and knowledge that anybody that's new to hunting, um, those are the most important skills and the most important knowledge base that anybody can pick up. and, and as you point out, it's not the way I grew up. Um, I, I think I walked in the woods with a, with a 30-30 uh, you know, lever action once for maybe an afternoon with my dad. Um, as, as our hunting excursion, we did, uh, did quite a bit of backpacking. Thank goodness it at least got me out into the eastern Sierra and got me up into the, the high elevation and got me used to you know, sweating all day to be amongst the scenery there. But uh, didn't, didn't grow up with hunting at all. And um, it takes years to develop that skill set. What? Yeah, you know, I've looked at I looked at the NWTF website, and when I look at the projects that are there that you guys are doing, I'm like, those are deer projects. You know, I'm seeing yeah. I'm seeing, Eldorado National Forest winter range for mule, de- you know, for or, for for West Coast mule deer or, or or West Slope. I don't know if you want to call them blacktail or mule deer or hybrids, whichever, whatever they are. But um, I'm looking at the projects you guys do, and I'm seeing things that are really great, just overall habitat projects. How, you know, can you tell me about some of the highlights there, and, and how those come to, come to fruition?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I, I like to call them Sierra bucks, because yeah, I mean it's it's they're a very unique deer, and, and I really really enjoy hunting them. Um, I think they're really cool looking too, with that dark black cap that you have, like a uh, of a black tail, but then kind of that mule deer face and ears. I, I love those Sierra bucks. So, no. So the projects that we do, essentially, we are trying to create what's called early successional habitat. So, creating a disturbance in the forest to set that succession back, to then to then initiate the growth new growth of plant materials typically your shrub species grasses forbs all the things that are really important for not only deer but wild turkeys quail grouse um, all those types of things so we typically work if you're looking at the sierra region we'll typically look at projects as high as five to six thousand feet because honestly wild turkeys do come up all the way into that country into summer range similar to deer they're following that green wave a lot of those hens will like to have bolts up higher because it's greener, lush vegetation, and it has those insects that are really important for pulp production. So okay. um, that's that's you know one of the main reasons. Obviously, we're doing that. We are the National Turkey Federation. We're here to benefit turkeys and turkey hunters, but it does have a huge benefit to deer hunters, obviously, and, and deer in general. So if yeah. you're looking at what we do in the Eldorado National Forest, you've got the Pacific deer herd. Which ranges all the way up from kind of the Crystal Basin and all the way up into um, the Desolation Wilderness and Granite Chief and such, and then comes all the way down in winters, you know, at the three three to four thousand foot elevation mark, depending on the winter. And what what um, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife unit uh, biologist here, Shelley Blair, um, she she put on about forty callers with Jared Merrill of University of Nevada Reno, and they did it right after the King Fire happened. And uh, it, it was kind of just incidental that that happened. But they wanted to look at several different things. They wanted to look at adult mortality of does. They wanted to look at migration routes and corridors and and, and when those deer were triggered to migrate. Okay. Uh, and, and so they wanted to look at all these cool things. Then they wanted to look at habitat use and where they're spending time and when they're spending time. So it also coincided with when we were doing a lot of work up there with our projects. So you may know it, it's been really important for fawn production and for fawn recruitment for the does to have really good high um, high, high um, nutritional growth at the time when they are pregnant, going through gestation. Yep. And so they're typically going through gestation when they're at that kind of mid-level um, Going from the, the from you know the winter range all the way back up to um, summer range, and they're spending a lot of time in kind of that mid-level area. So mm-hmm. that's where we we've, we've done a lot of work is from you know five thousand feet to uh, down to like you know twenty five hundred feet in the old brush forest and, and and creating that early successional habitat.
0: That's great. I have uh, one of Shelly's does on a trail cam picture. Um, nice. And and this was. Uh, this is where CDFW has impressed me. I, I've I've captured images of two different does with collars, or ear tags, um, or both. Uh, but anyways, I could see the, yep. the tag. I could see the tag number, and I just emailed CDFW and said, "Hey, I, I I got this picture of Doe number, you know, 392. Can you tell me about it?" And here, and I give them an idea of where I was, and and sure enough, uh, in the instance that it was one of Shelly's does she just dumped out here's what we're doing here's what we're finding here's what we're studying you know the 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 full the full um study is to be packaged and i think it's going to be done this year sometime in terms of being you know you know ready for publication and if you're not aware of these things if you're not looking for these things you can very easily start to think uh, they don't do anything for us. Like they' like the, there's no science being done to support the deer hunt, deer, deer habitat, the wildlife decisions. You know, the tag decisions, and so that. And then the other one was Sarah, a different another biologist who's who's studying. You know, the the Blue Canyon herd. You know, up yep. up, up along eighty, basically. And I'm so like, this is so cool. This is so cool. So you you obviously have probably seen. A little deeper into that study and some of the some of the impacts and and what what they're finding.
1: Yeah, no, I have. It's it's been really neat to see. And and Shelley and Sarah are both great. I actually we all three together teach a hunter education class here in El Dorado County. Um, so they're 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 awesome folks. But yeah, no, it's it's been really cool to see that I actually got to uh, dart and and call her one of those years with Shelley um, up in the Crystal Basin one time, which was a, a lot of fun. And yeah. Uh, and Jared, Jared's great too, man. He's, he's a smart guy. And, and what he was telling me as well as a part of that study is that three years was kind of the, uh, the, the peak of when they saw the amount of deer use within the Kingfire burn scar. um so it it came up about three years where they were using it pretty heavily all that new you know like like we talked about that new growth that early successional Uh habitat hitting all that new growth and as that as that growth got older more decadent less nutritional Uh those deer started to slowly fade out of the burn um got it so it's pretty cool to see some of those results too but yeah i think jared's going to be defending his thesis this year and i think it's going to be coming out here pretty soon what they what they found
0: that's great um is it easier to to kind of list the areas that you're active in California or the areas that you're not active? What are some of the other, you know, zones that you guys, um, the NWTF is, is doing this kind of work in?
1: Yeah. So we've done projects as far North as Modoc County and as far South as San Diego County. Um, we, have we've done a lot of work throughout there. I would say actively, um, I think we've got five projects going on. Um, several on the Eldorado National Forest uh, we've, we've, we've found a great partner in them they, they really enjoy working with us so it's really easy to get part projects developed with them um, I've got a project going down on the Sequoia National Forest which is the Esham ecological restoration project and that's also within you know a deer winter range corridor down there right yeah. around three to four thousand feet um, out of the uh, the Hume Lake district um, yeah. And then yeah, looking at some projects currently on on the Shasta Trinity, and and I'd really like to get into uh, um, the Sierra National Forest as well. But covering uh, California, Oregon, Washington, and Nevada, <laughs> it uh, it's it's hard to get everywhere you want to be. But uh, I'd, I'd say we yeah. do the most work here in California.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of geography to cover. You mentioned uh, Sierra National Forest. Um, the fire last year is. Is a is a burn like that something that you would say okay half our work's done let's go in and, and finish the job and, and 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 make it you know really turn the tide towards improvement for turkey and, and other wildlife or or do you or is the work already done has the fire done what you would have done and so you would focus on other areas of Sierra Sierra National.
1: So so fire could be as you know the the most beneficial thing there is for wildlife habitat however. When it's, you know, really hot and really big, so you're looking at the severity and the pack size of it, yeah. it can be really harmful. So there's, we're, we're going in, in a lot of our forests from one extreme to the other. We're going from choked out forests with no sunlight reaching the forest floor, just a completely dead forest floor that, that doesn't have very much value to any wildlife, and then doing the opposite and scorching yeah. it and then having no trees left and actually nuking a lot of the organic layer in the soil because it's burning so hot because there's so much fuel and so when you have those two extremes you're going kind of from one bad to another because you're going from a homogeneous landscape to another homogeneous landscape and what wildlife like where they thrive is diversity you know looking at that kind of mosaic so the what, if I was to look at like something like the creek fire, you know, you're going to look at those edges and, and portions of it that burned at kind of that mid to, to low severity where you're crowning out mm-hmm. small patches of trees and, and then you're underburning in a lot of the um, older, older tree stands. That's going to have great, great um, benefit to wildlife. However, a lot of the big stuff, you know, that burned, and you're talking, you know, tens of thousands of acres that burned at high severity, all right next to one another. Yeah, that's going to have some benefit in terms of forage, but it, you're not going to have anything in terms of, you know, thermal cover out there. Um, right. You're not going to have that diversity that that's really needed and and looked for from wildlife.
0: When you have when you have a huge landscape like that that has been effectively sterilized. Can you go in and, and do pockets of, you know, ten acres here, ten acres there and, and do some remediation and and then have those small pockets create their edge and, and spread out or you know what's the what's the strategy that that is even you know that's feasible?
1: Yeah, so the Forest Service is experimenting a lot here in, in recent times with not just the old-school style of, you know, going out there and planting in spaced plantations and mm-hmm. and growing everything like a tree farm. Now they're looking at, you know, kind of these this groupy, clumpy, gappy sort of, um, um, you know, um, regeneration of trees. So they're going out there and actually planning in these gaps, or planning in these clumps and then leaving these gaps and, and just trying to create that mosaic effect out there. So that that's kind of what's cool. going on in recent times. And, you know, of course, anytime you're growing trees, it's going to be a long time until you see that effect. But sure. uh, that's, that's, I think, where we're starting out here. And I'm hopeful that, that those are going to pay off with big dividends.
0: Yeah. Well... And so many people think nothing's being done, but things are, it sounds like things are being done and new, new approaches are being tested.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just, it's just, man, it's, it's hard to comprehend because it's such a large landscape. You know, we have, we have 18 national forests in California yeah. that cover right about 20 to 21 million acres. Um, that's it's a insane. Lot of land.
0: It's a lot of public land. <laughs>
1: yeah. If you're looking at trying to treat, you know, say say out of that out of that 21 million acres, you know, 15 are probably needed treatment, and and you right. look at the treatment types, you know, you you can't just go through and light a match and say we're going to prescribe burn this, and go light right. a match it at what what these you know the fuel levels are at right now. So you have to go through and treat that with some some type of mechanical work before you can go in and and, and actually burn. Got it. so you're looking at you know a lot of different treatment activities that range from a thousand to two thousand dollars an acre on 15 you know or 15 million acres um, right that that's a lot of money um,
0: so and it's good segue how do we support NWTF I mean <laughs> I uh, so I uh, before we got on the call here I, I've joined a whole bunch of the conservation groups in the last year and, and I have to admit I had I, I looked in my email I, I hadn't joined nwtf and so um i think everybody that's listening to this podcast i encourage you go to the website join nwtf it costs a whole 35 dollars and you can choose to in return get a 25 dollar promotional code for bass pro shops so net net it costs 10 bucks
1: to get <laughs> yeah. to
0: get to get involved and support nwtf but for that $10 or 35 I mean, how, what else can we do? I'm, obviously, that helps, but it, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. What else, um, what are some of the other opportunities or mechanisms that are out there for individuals or groups to, to actually, you know, help see, you know, you get the resources you need?
1: Well yeah, I mean membership's huge, man. Um if 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 people can go out and buy a membership and like you said, it's it's ten bucks because you're getting a twenty five dollar Bass Pro card that could be used at Cabela's too. Um, it's like three so, rounds I mean, of it's, ammo.
0: It's like it's like oh. three it's like three hunting rounds.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's it's sad. But um no, it's 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 a great deal. But the other thing that you can do is is you know our fundraising banquets and and helping mm-hmm. to start chapters and and running some of these banquets. They're huge, man. Not only are we are we getting funding through that way, but we're also getting the word out to folks. Um, we're we're gaining volunteers. Um, it's 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 a great way for us to be able to do that. So COVID took us down pretty hard. We we relied a lot on a lot of that kind of traditional funding base that a lot of the organizations mm-hmm. did with these fundraising banquets obviously COVID that all got thrown out the window for, you know, at least a year, especially here. So as we're starting to come back into those and and guidelines and, and restrictions are getting loosened, we're starting to have a few banquets here and there. So I would say helping to support us by going there and, you know, buying some raffle tickets and maybe bidding on a gun and that sort of thing. it, It really helps. Yep.
0: Are there, are there opportunities to get out there and, and, you know, and rake, rake the forest with you and, and do, you know, do a weekend of, of physical labor, you know, in, in the habitat is, is that, does that add any value or does that opportunity exist?
1: So I, I have done a bad job at trying to create those days. You know, we, we do a lot of work where we contract out to heavy equipment operators and, and these logging companies sure. to come out and do this work. And so you're looking at a very practical, you know, cost per acre and, and going through. And and a lot of the times I forget, Hey, we've got volunteers that, you know, we could leave a few acres off on this side, get a work day going and, and get that, get that done with volunteers and people that want to get out and, and identify yeah. with that type of work. So we have, um, partnered in, um, in Oregon with a, a, project called the All Hands, All Brands project, and that's on the Ochoco National Forest in kind of central eastern Oregon. And that's getting all of the members of the orgs out there to get together and do work. And, And they actually did that this last weekend. I wasn't able to make it up there, but we did have our state chapter president from Oregon up there and a few other folks. And they had 70 volunteers go out there and build over a mile of buck and pole fencing, for an aspen and meadow enclosure um, to keep livestock wow. and stuff out of that, which is pretty incredible, man. So I, I feel like I yeah. need to do a better job of trying to create those opportunities out here because there are a lot of people who really want to get out there and get their hands dirty with that sort of work.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be fun, um, and obviously it's a uh, it's educational. It's it's an opportunity to get out, and um, it's you know spring spring and summer we all want to be in the mountains anyways um yeah and so i think i think that would be uh i think that there'd be an opportunity there and and heck even if even if it's a small project, i I imagine sometimes a a really a really small project or a small area it doesn't even pay it's not even worth putting the uh you know a a a heavy piece of heavy equipment on a trailer to drag it up there um but if if 30 people can show up with some hand tools And get their, uh, you know, get their, get their Jeeps and their trucks and their Subarus and whatever up there, then they can get in and do, you know, do something that may have, have an impact.
1: Yeah, we are doing, um, th- it just reminded me actually you saying that, we are doing uh, a garbage cleanup on the Eldorado National Forest. We our, our local chapter here was awarded a grant from the Forest Service because a lot of our fundraising dollars are frozen right now. They'll be opening up again this fall, but we, we're looking for ways to fund types of little projects like that, and our, our local chapter here was successful with a grant from the Forest Service to nice. be able to go out and rent a couple of dump trailers and get a bunch of folks together and clean up a bunch of these garbage sites that unfortunately people litter throughout the entire forest so we'll have yeah. some coming up um here and i'll, I'll get those dates to you and, and we would okay. love to have people come out and help with that
0: yeah we'll get the word out on that that's great yeah it's um that that's one of those eyesores that just boggles my mind um what how that happens and, and who's doing that but obviously it's to, to get those those areas cleaned up is going to benefit everybody else's recreating out there and whether they're hunting or, or hiking or mountain biking or whatever it's it's that's a good project so very cool very cool um, are there grants that you guys can get? Is there a does the does the money that we put into NWTF does it get amplified in some way that that uh, other other partners then can get in and and do more with that?
1: Oh man, it gets amplified a lot. Uh, okay. Believe it or not, we don't have a, a huge fundraising base here in California. We we do all right, mm-hmm. but no, we we definitely our our bread and butter and at getting projects done is through grants and agreements. So okay. Um, we work a lot with CAL FIRE. CAL FIRE has um, a, a lot of money out there right now through um, what's called the California Climate Initiative, CCI, to go mm-hmm. out there to do, do fuels reduction work. Um, Sierra Nevada Conservancy has been a great partner of us to do that type of work as well. You know, a lot of these kind of non-traditional funding partners um, mm-hmm. that, that people won't think of when they think of hunting organizations partnering together with them to, to put habitat, uh, restoration acres on the ground it's been very really yeah. successful here in California with that type of model. Um, we, we definitely do go the traditional route as well of partnering with California Department of Fish and Wildlife and utilizing some of the up and game stamp funds that uh, you okay. have to purchase to hunt up and game here in California and putting those on the ground as well but no we, we turn one dollar into a lot so to, as an example we had our stewardship agreement that started on the El Dorado National Forest started with about ten thousand dollars of fundraising uh, money out of the California state chapter mm-hmm. that through through no more fundraising dollars uh, only through grants and agreements federal and state dollars that agreement is now over four point two million dollars and it's accomplished wow. over twenty five hundred acres with another two thousand acres that's going to be done here in the next two years
0: so that starts the ten thousand dollars gets the gears turning to show there's the c- capability to do, a tiny project or get something started. And then they just start to compound as you demonstrate effectiveness and, and capability. Is that?
1: Exactly, exactly, okay. yeah. You can you can show not only that, you know, you're, you're putting the dollars on the ground, but you're putting them on the ground in an effective manner. And there's a lot of pressure right now from state agencies to get this money out and get work done sure. and get accomplishments out there that if you can be an organization that has a reputation of getting the work done, they're going to continue to fund you so it's it's it started out with that seed money from the nwtf and has blossomed mm-hmm. into this multi-million dollar agreement
0: that's great now does nwtf partner with some of the other conservation organizations or or is each one kind of their own their own entity where where they're doing the work and you know they're, they're staying in their lane or or do you cross over and and co- collaborate
1: yeah there's been a lot of collaboration recently i would say in the past they there was more kind of in those traditional silos and, and folks kind of staying in their lane. But as we see the amount of work and that that's out there and how effective it could be when you when you create these types of partnerships, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people getting together. You know, we, we started that work on the Eshen project down there on the Sequoia National Forest with the Mueller Foundation and the Great Basin Institute, all three of us together. And that, that that collective that we created down there was extremely effective. Um, we had, you know, some some of the different skills from the Bueller Foundation um, employee at that time, you know, yeah. setting up a different portion of the agreement and getting a different portion of the project done. Same with Great Basin Institute; they were kind of the parent organization. They had the the grant from Cal Fire, and then our job was helped to, you know, in turn with the mastication portion of the mm-hmm. project. So. Getting those partnerships together um, has been huge, and I think that's something that is really going to continue to pay off big when you when you have all the different partners coming together for you know the single goal in mind. Yeah, shared goal.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the Sierra Conservancy. Is that is that one of the orgs you mentioned? So they're not a hunting organization. They're, uh, would you say they're more of a, a, a land protection, land and habitat protection organization?
1: Yeah, so Sierra Nevada Conservancy is actually a state agency that, okay. uh, yeah, I would say that out of their employees, uh, very, very low percentage, you know, or hunters or know anything about hunting. Um, right. So it, we have, the, the, you know, they're, yeah, it's, it's a very non-traditional partner to partner with a hunting organization.
0: Right. But, and see, that's what I love. And that's where, that's where like, you know, people talk about nature conservancy and agency, a, a group like the Sierra Nevada conservancy. Oh, they're all, they're out to, you know, they're out to take down hunting. And I think, you know, there may be one or two organizations out there that are out to take down hunting, but most organizations, I think we have such an opportunity. Like when we're talking about habitat and, and wildlife diversity and, and doing better, you know, is better stewardship for the land and the wildlife that are there because that benefits us, you know, as hunters, but ultimately first and foremost it has to benefit of the wildlife. I just I think there's just a lot of opportunity there to find more of those non-traditional hunting non-hunting orgs where we've got like a 95% overlap <laughs> on yeah. on mission, on on need Absolutely. and mission and and to work together. So that's um, that's probably a whole other rabbit hole to go down, but I, I think that's a, that's a cool example, and I think it highlights an opportunity that we've got as a, as a community.
1: Yeah, if we, if we want to, you know, talk about being a conservation organization, we need to show it in partnering with those types of organizations because, like you said, the overlap is like 95% in their mission. They just don't have hunting in it. And I think it's honestly just because of, uh, there's a lack of knowledge. It, you know, sure. I've, I've had a great time sitting in the truck with the, the local representatives from Sierra Nevada Conservancy going over project stuff and just getting to chat about hunting. And he asked questions yeah. about it and I can answer questions. and it it always ends up coming off where he learned a little bit more about it and he, he's probably going to go tell his friends about you know those sure. hunting guys they're they're not too bad they're actually they're actually <laughs> doing some pretty cool stuff so yeah. uh, I, I think it's just a chance for us to be able to educate people
0: yeah no absolutely so i want to jump uh jump topics a little bit um to something that might be a little dry for a lot of people uh but it's an area of controversy i think for for californians or in the hunting community um and that's and that's that's the kind of the way the state is set up um in terms of you know policy and practice and and regulations and where all the rules come from um you see it, I see it, you know, it's, it's very easy to spot, especially in some of the the, the the social, the Facebook forums where, you know, everybody just says, ah, you know, C- they, CDFW unfortunately gets the blame for everything, um, you know, CDFW hates us. They're, they're, they're there to shut down hunting. And, and I, I'm kind of like, even if they are interested in shutting down hunting, th- they have a mission to execute as an agency and, and we need to have an ally somewhere. Like, like so whether they're not, whether they're an ally or an adversary, like we kind of have to find a way to get along with them. And I think CDFW is probably more of an ally, but you also hear fishing game commission, you know, fishing game is this, CDFW is that, um, but really those, they're just execute. they're primarily executing the, 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 the rules and regs that have been pushed to them a lot of the time. Can you just help navigate for me or, or lay out what the what the different people do or, or organizations do and and where the rules come from so that I can better understand it and hopefully the folks that stick through the you know the, the dry material of, of law <laughs> um, stick you know that they can learn too.
1: Yeah, no, I'll start it off with, with the saying that I always like to to say, and that's that uh, biologists give recommendations yet make no decisions. And so a lot of that has to go to looking at kind of how these agencies are set up. So the California Department of Fish and Wildlife is the scientific agency, right? So they are the scientific sister agency to the California Fish and Game Commission, which is the governing rulemaking body. So the okay. California Department of Fish and Wildlife brings the science, they say, okay, we have, you know, we've, we've looked at, you know, this population, in this landscape, and we can, you know, th- it can support this much take. Or this population, you know, through, through a lot of our scientific research is not doing too well, we need to, to put further protections on this. And what they're, they're doing is that they're saying, we suggest you do that, they bring that to the Fish and Game Commission. They weigh the science of it, the actual biological science of it, with social science of it, and kind of social tolerance, mm-hmm. and then they make right. the decision. So the the department always gets hammered on all these you know decisions because people right. don't understand that it's it's not the department of fish and wildlife that is making these decisions. They're getting handed these decisions that they have to then regulate and govern. Um, okay, which which is which is tough. So a, a law, say a hunting law, can be made several different ways in the state of California, and none of them are by the Department of Fish and Wildlife. So laws are created through the California Fish and Game Commission, through either a petition um, or something like that into the Fish and Game Commission. They can then create a law through that. There are laws that can be created through the California State Legislature. So that's a Senate or Assembly bill that goes through Mm -hmm. and passes through the legislature and gets signed into law by the governor. Or there's the ballot initiative, which is put onto a ballot and voted on by the population of California.
0: Which is where and all of so, our laws come from.
1: <laughs> which is where some of
0: them have hunt, come hunt, from. Hunting or anything else, that's where they all come from. That's where all the BS yes. comes from. <laughs> exactly. I think
1: California passes, I can't remember how many hundreds of laws every year through the state <laughs> through legislature. Through the ballot initiative. Which is insane. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Through, sorry. And then we got the ballot initiative. So, I mean, so, you know, you've got the hunting lions were officially taken away from us in uh, the ballot initiative prop 117 in 1991 however you know ronald reagan had actually put them um on a kind of their own specific little list in in 1972 or three or something like that so we didn't we weren't able to hunt mountain lions for a long time but then it was put into actual law by by the state of california through that ballot initiative we had you know Bobcat trapping bobcat hunting get taken away through the state legislature um, You know, yeah. you've got all these things that are that happen and then are given to the department um, So right. right now what was interesting about the bobcat trapping and started the bobcat hunting ban Was there was a stipulation in there that said, okay, if the department can get a bobcat management plan put together
0: mm-hmm. Then
1: they could go back and revisit whether it is um whether whether it's it's significant or not to be able to hunt bobcats in the state of California, and so the department is actually doing that right now. You know, they're 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 creating through their budget, you know, a whole bunch of different biologists throughout the state to go out and survey for for bobcats and putting that management yeah. plan together. So, I'm hopeful that that'll actually come back here uh, eventually, um, but we'll see. But yeah, so th- th- that's kind of I- the way things are broken up. There's a lot of different laws that are made. None of them through the department, um, but then right. given to the department to be able to manage.
0: I would just be, if I was a CDFW uh, manager, staffer, biologist, I would just be weary. I, I would never go online. I, I would just, <laughs> yeah. I, would, I, would just be, I would be so weary from people not knowing what it is that I do or care about. And, and, and assuming the worst about what it is that I do and what I care about and being wrong because I'm not, you know, in a, an official capacity. They are not in an official capacity really in a position to correct anyone. You know, they're just, they just got to keep their head down and stick to it. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And uh, that's rough. That, I mean, that's, I think as a community, if we could uh, em- embrace what they're doing a little more or just not light them on fire (laughs) as much as we do through our, through our dialogue, uh, right there, we'd probably have, have some better relationships. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And the, and the one thing too, you have to think about is there are state agencies. So when you have a bill that's going through the state legislature, Mm -hmm. they're not able to comment on that unless given the authority from the governor. So if it's something that is, you know, um, Something that the governor wants to pass or wants to get through because of their agenda, they're you know they're not able to comment on it. So you know they got to keep that in mind too. That depending on right. who you work for, you may or may not be able to even say anything.
0: Right. Um, so I want to touch on the bobcat issue because I I saw that I saw that the the studies are starting to kick off where they've got like uh, some some camera setups where they're tracking or, or looking at um, you know through digital. Uh, imagery and some artificial intelligence basically be looking at, at how many different bobcats are within like a square mile or so and they're doing multiples of these these studies statewide and i'm i'm naively optimistic that that may set a precedence like if they can package that and they put it back into, you know, in front of the fish and game commission or, or legislature, whoever has to see this this, this study yeah. to then change the course and say, Hey, we can we can regulate, you know, we, we can allow hunting of bobcats. Here's the harvest, you know, here's the here's the population target and here's the harvest target and, and actually have it go that way, that will be I think a a huge opportunity and precedence for, for people to, to trust science and trust the process um, and maybe as a side benefit if they find out that there's you know 17 times more mountain lions at per square mile than they expected as well they'll they'll have an addendum that says by the way <laughs> you've got a mountain lion problem <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. possible.
1: We can only hope, man. We can only hope. It's just that yeah. social tolerance portion in the state of California with forty million of our closest friend that uh, is right. the tough one to get around.
0: So that goes to the Fish and Game Commission. How does how does a commissioner get to sit in that seat? What's the how, why do they get to be there in that in that role?
1: Yeah. So they also are appointed by the governor, and then they are confirmed okay. by the Senate. Um, so the Senate can technically reject a, a governor's appointee, but I, I haven't seen that happen in, in my time here, and I'm not sure if it has happened here in California. But is there a,
0: um, is there any kind of requirement? Uh, I've I heard in other states that they have to have held a license, like a hunting license, for five years, or there's some kind of. Is there any requirement that that they have any long term interest or or skill set that is that is relevant to fishing game?
1: To my knowledge, there is not. Um, you okay. know, we, we have a, a pretty good commission right now um, with a lot of good commissioners that are very reasonable, very kind of scientifically driven. In the past, we have not had that. In mm-hmm. the pat- and previous to that, we had you know folks that were very staunchly pro hunting. So it just it it changes throughout the administrations and when seats come up. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I think we have a good commission right now, but that can that can always change.
0: Sure. Part of me says as a as a hunter, I would want support of fishing game of the commission. Um, but I've heard it said, I've heard things said in a way that that if if things that would benefit me as a hunter go in front of the commission and I'm not there to support them <laughs> because and, and there's or there's other people there that are supporting the other side of it. Um, the commission has a hard time kind of going the way of the hunting community. So do I have it backwards when I say that, you know, I pound my fist and say fish and game should support me when really I need to go there and, and be in support of them? Does that make yeah, sense? That's,
1: yeah, no, that's a great point. And so, you know, when when the commissioners have a job to do where they have to listen to, to Californians and listen to the stakeholders for the decisions that are being made, when hunters don't show up and – anti-hunters or people that want to see you know animals protected show up then then obviously they're going to just be seeing the folks that want to right. you know not have you know the hunters back so yeah we we absolutely need to show up and I, I think it's the best time now more than ever to be able to show up with a lot of this the uh zoom type platforms that you're able to to utilize when when you're commenting yeah. on on fishing game commission meetings so um it, it's it's now now man we, we got to have people there and we got to have people even even if you didn't even say anything just go and and watch a fish game commission meeting it is extremely beneficial they're all recorded they're all on on cal span um yeah you, you can all go do it and, and it's it's worth worth the time
0: okay just gotta log in as i'm a hunter and i'm here <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, just just to see how the process works, Ben. It, it really helps educate people, and and to see all the people that are there and the different lobbyists that show up from different organizations. It's it's very eye opening.
0: Got it, got it. Well, I um I need to do it myself. I I can't just talk about it and and say that other people are going to. I know. I think there was a meeting just last week in the last couple weeks. Um, I think uh, one of the things to, for us all to do is, is, like you said, even if we look at the agenda, we don't fully understand what's going on with it, just to just to be present and start to, you know, invest. You know, I, I look at the hours I drive just to get to scouting, scout new areas. And, and I, if I was to translate that into Fish and Game Commission meetings, I, I, I could probably watch five years of fishing game meetings or attend f- five years worth of fishing game meetings in one season of scouting so um <laughs> to say that we don't have time is is silly uh and i think that that's uh, I, I need i'm going to put up some links so that people can start seeing um on my link tree on instagram I'll, I'll put the links up so people can see these these agendas and i think that's something that we all need to become better at if we're gonna if we're gonna do some of these things um, yeah
1: something something real quick that's important to note is they're typically two-day meetings and one of the, well one day is a marine meeting and then the other day okay. is kind of the inland freshwater fisheries and um, and uh, land uh, meeting. so okay just just be aware of that so you're not logging in and just looking at ocean regulations and stuff if you're more right. interested in type of that the hunting thing
0: right right now that makes a lot of sense um, I I feel like there's a lot of hunters that have given up on california in terms of wildlife management and and making these changes here do you you know with with sb252 the anti-bear the 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 bear hunting ban and the the california hunting community response to that which which you know within a couple weeks got that that legislation pulled um am i foolish to be optimistic that that we can we can coalesce that energy. We can start, start, you know, pulling people together in the community to be better educated and, and start to, to move the needle in a direction that, that benefits wildlife through, through hunting and through conservation.
1: I I'm, I'm as optimistic as you are, man. Um, I've, I've never seen the hunting community wake up like that before. Um, with, with SB 252, you know, yeah. even with the, the Bobcat hunting ban and, and, you know, um, uh, but prior to that, the um, the bobcat trapping ban, uh, we we'd put out action alerts as an organization to where you can you know send a forum letter to your your representative, whether it was your you know local senator, assembly member, and I'd put it out all over you know all over the forums on on social media platforms, and people like, oh yeah, that's terrible, and do it, and then they'd be like, ah yeah. okay, whatever, and it, you just you right. didn't see the amount of emotion and the amount of, you know, just insanity that you saw with SB two fifty two and people just I don't I don't know if it was finally the, the straw that broke the camel's back on that one or if it was, you know, something that was big enough of, you know, a a game animal that it got yeah. people just fired up enough and, and seeing, you know, the hound hunting taken away in 2012, um, and just seeing all these little things go that finally, you know, drawing a line in the sand and 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 getting after it. So I'm optimistic that, that we can utilize that and keep moving forward with it as long as people, you know, don't relax and sit on their laurels and think, okay, we beat this one, we're good for a while.
0: Right. Yeah, I thankfully I think most people are, are fearful they're, they're, they're looking over their shoulder you know they're like where is this going to pop up again is this going to be woven into some other legislation it's going to get snuck in I think people people are concerned that it it, it it hasn't gone away which to me means let's take the opportunity to make sure it can't come back like like my my you know utopian you know rainbows and unicorns idea is that that we get it to where the the bar, for legislative or ballot proposition management of wildlife is so high, you know, get it to where it takes two-thirds vote of the legislature or two-thirds vote of, of the populace to 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 push these things through, so that to really preserve these these regulations to be within the realm of the of the commission and CDFW, um, I, yeah. I think that's you know I think that's where we need to go. If we can go there, then um, we can at least trust that on a, on a longer-term basis, decisions are made based on science. You know, if, if you get a rogue commission that goes one direction, the next commission can come in and more easily undo it. Um, if the science changes or the science dictates that it should be undone, it's more easily done. So that's kind of, I think that's where we, um, I'd love to see us get there. I don't know how we do it, but I, I think I'd love to see us get there. Um, can you tell me about two other things before we get into to the uh, the how to how would you hunt this segment, which I'm really looking forward to? Can you tell me about two things? What is the California Conservation Coalition, and then what is the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation? I know they're different, but what are they?
1: Yeah, so the California Hunting and Conservation Coalition is a, a coalition that is comprised of kind of the, all of the hunting and fishing NGOs in California. Uh, there's representatives there from Wild Sheep Foundation, California Hawking Club, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, California Deer Association. And I would say, you know, all the way from the Sassoon Resource Conservation District, there's there's probably, I would say, 30 different organizations that are represented within the coalition. And we, as a coalition, mm-hmm. meet on a quarterly basis. Okay. Um, we meet together to discuss several things. One's legislation, and then we also get together to meet with the department. Not during the legislation portion of the meeting because they can't be be present for that. Um, but typically, we have them come in after that, and then we get an update from, you know, uh, Deputy Director Stafford Lair on kind of the the business of the department and where things have gone in the last quarter. We go to the Wildlife Branch Chief, and he gives us an update on you know where we're at with the upcoming deer plan where the, you know, how, how the sheep plan's come along. We go mm-hmm. to the deputy director of fisheries and talk about some of the inland fisheries and stuff that's going on. So it's it's a great, great coalition to be a part of for these hunting organizations to be able to be on top of what's happening within the state, with the state yeah. agencies, and then also what's going on legislatively and how can we all come together as a united front to be able to fight it or to be able to get out in front of it. So that that's yeah. what the California Hunting and Conservation Coalition is. Okay. The Congressional Sportsmen's Foundation is a, a, a national foundation that is comprised of. Um, they, they've they've got a few different things that they look at. First of all, they're um, an organization that I can't remember how old the Congressional Sportsman Foundation is, but they're they're a pretty old organization, and they are looking out for hunters and anglers, not only. In the in the in the congressional sense, but also in the state sense, throughout the okay. uh, uh, all the state legislatures and that sort of thing, and they've got representatives, you know, that cover the West, cover the the Midwest, cover the Southeast, that look at that, and and they have, um, they in each state they have a, um, I think it's called an, an outdoor, oh man, I'm going to botch it, I think, but they essentially have. <laughs> no a, a a sporting caucus um in every single one of the state legislatures that is a bipartisan caucus that Uh uh, essentially looks out for for hunting and fishing and so the hunting and angling community can go to the caucus in each one of their states to put out bills um for you know like there's the right now there's a bill out for free a free hunting day or two free hunting days that uh, it actually went through I believe in 2012, it went through, but now oh. we're trying to to direct the governor to give those two free hunting days, similar to the free fishing days. Um, oh, wow. One in the spring and, and, and one in the fall.
0: Um, so since the... Is that, would those be small game or, or what's that? So what, it's... Where, well, it, I can't imagine... Rolling the dice on a on a deer tag for one day yes. without paying the extra Correct. money for the license. <laughs> no, no. So it's
1: it's it's a small game. The the person who's participating has to have gone through hunter education, and they have to be, in they have to have a mentor present that's twenty one okay. or older that is a, a licensed hunter. So it's it's small it. game. Um, yeah. They they looked at trying to do one in the spring for turkey and went in one in the fall for uh, for waterfowl. Um, Got it. So yeah. So anyways, cool. the, essentially, some of the uh, the community can reach out to those folks to help put those types of bills forward, um, and and have bipartisan support of that.
0: Got it. So with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, it sounds like that in California there's at least one legislative member <laughs> that is that that's looking out for our interests, and and maybe more than one. Um, is that would that be a channel like to to to, to really? You know, do well in this political arena. Um, it seems like that would be a group to to engage and and start to align with um, early. Yeah. is that is that fair?
1: Yeah. So we we actually have quite a few quite a few folks in our state legislature here that are you know looking out for for hunters and anglers and, and have our backs. Unfortunately, it's just a small percentage of uh, sure. the overall representatives. But the the best people to get in touch with here in California, or here to figure out who to get in touch with. Uh, There's a gentleman by the name of Bill Gaines and and Gaines & Associates and Bill, Bill is the man. He's been, you know, essentially the liaison between the hunting community and the Fish and Game Commission and the state legislature for a long time now. He's very familiar with the process, very familiar with all the faces and he's the person to reach out and get in touch with. He can put you in contact with any single representative um and he's 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 the man when it comes to that so there's there's a lot of folks out there there's bill Gaines. there's roy griffith with california rifle and pistol association california waterfowl association has uh two lobbyists that they have on full-time staff ducks Unlimited wow. has a, a full-time lobbyist so there's there's a yeah. lot that this hunting community does in the state legislature you know it, it with with someone like myself i'm i'm a you know, wildlife biologist but i'm also our yep. state policy lead in all these states so anything that happens within the state legislature it's my job to to comment on so i've gone in, in a suit and tie before and testified in front of the state legislature and testified in front of committees on certain bills and, and honestly a lot of you know second amendment firearm bills that sure. would have an impact on on Pittman robertson funding in the state of california and yeah. uh, it's not something I ever thought as a, as a wildlife biologist I would be doing, <laughs> but it's so important, you know. Um, and, and there's a lot of representation there from the hunting community. I think it's something that people just don't see and they don't think that is happening, but it, it's a huge part of what these organizations do.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, we'll sh- there's there's so much to learn there uh i think we as a we as a community are are just getting started i know i am and um i had somebody reach out to me and after the they, they heard the the third podcast i did which was my, my my grand scheme my ideas on policy and and he 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 obviously knows more about it than i do. he quickly identified you know hey congressional sportsman foundation got to get them involved and and talked about, you know, how regulations are even written, like the different formats that regulations are written in and got, he got into, got in some, uh, some acronyms. I'm not, I'm not sure what they are, but, but to me, it was like, okay, there's some people listening that, um, you know, there's some people that are listening that, that are tuned in and, and, uh, we may have, we may have the, the ability to pull this together, but I want to talk, I want to talk hunting. Um, now, uh, we're gonna dive into the, the, the how would you hunt this segment of this, where where my goal is with every every guest that we have on the podcast, um, and it's not a test like there's no wrong answer, so you're gonna do really well <laughs> on this, um, but it's basically you know uh, I'm gonna give every guest like yourself uh, a pin drop, you know like an X pin, Latin long, and just ask how would you hunt this. And uh, I, you know, some guests may give it five minutes, and some may give it, you know, a full hour. Or um, my goal is that it's not completely self-serving. It's not an area that I have a tag for, so we can clear that, clear that um, disclaimer right out of the gate. Um, <laughs> and and it may or may not be. Ideally, it's not an area that you're already already intimately familiar with. Although, in looking at your Instagram feed the bucks that you took in the last two years look like they may have come from similar habitat um and so i don't know if you want to throw that out or not but uh you know the goal is that you know i just i think all hunters can learn from other hunters in term in in the area of how to process the op like new new, a new zone process how how to approach a new area a new zone um it's not about what that zone is it's about how we figure that zone out or how we it's not it's not about knowing that the mountain that you're going to has you know uh, a 200 inch buck it's 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 knowing how to figure that zone out to find the 200 inch buck and then kill it um and so that's that's my goal here and so i i I gave you a pin drop for something in northeastern california and um, I just love to hear, you know, what you did to break it down, and and what you would do if if you had that tag and and you were going up there this fall.
1: Yeah, man, I, I like this segment. I think it's pretty cool. It, <laughs> it's it'll be it'll be interesting to hear how how different people break stuff down. Because I was like, man, how am I going to do it? You know, it it, it really right. made me think about it. And
0: well, I'm going to break in here. You you've been doing this all your life, and so th- I think that people that were raised in hunting do a lot of this thought process without even thinking about it like it's it's like putting your shoes on and so (laughs) and 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 that's where like you go i don't know what do i do i I just go there like i look at the map i go and i know where to go um whereas me i'm i'm like (laughs) you know, studying multiple e-scouting platforms and maps, and I know what documents I'm looking up on CDFW and all this, and so anyways, I'll kick it back to you, um, but it, it is interesting to have, it'll be interesting to see how people break it down, um, especially whether it's intuitive or academic, you know, or, or what, what level of each.
1: Yeah, so what I didn't do with this one, which which you kind of talked about some of the the documents from CDFW and utilizing spot kill maps, that is hugely helpful. But so with this one, since I was given you know a Latin long, I wasn't gonna look at it because I knew I was gonna have to hunt here. So I uh, mm-hmm. I didn't utilize that for this one. But what's interesting is I have I've never hunted this area. I've never hunted this zone. Um, but as a crow flies, I did kill uh, one of my best bucks in California, about 13.3 miles away from there. So <laughs> you can sit there with your little radius and try to figure out where uh, that was at. That's awesome. But, uh, that's awesome. No, I, so I, I checked it out. First thing as I did is I, I looked at this on Onyx. I typed in Onyx. Boom. It brought me to this spot. And I said, okay, so I'm looking at it. You know, it's 66, 6,700 feet. Um, you know, kind of top of the it's – it's, it's, it is technically, you know – Eastern Sierra, but it's more timber, and so looking around at it, and I started to zoom in, I was like, Whoa, okay, that looks interesting. So I checked it out on Google Earth, because I'm not great with Onyx's 3D yet, so I like to use uh-huh. Google Earth, and I was like, oh, man, that kind of looks like it got Me burned. Too. So I click on my map layers, go down to Historic Wildfire, click it on, and boom, that whole thing got <laughs> burned. Yeah. So I clicked on that, see when it was burned. Okay, it was burned in 2019. We're gonna have some decent growth coming back by now. So I clicked it off, and I'm looking at topography. You know, it's 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 a peak, kind of like with two heads. There's a little bowl on it, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about several different things. So I'm thinking, okay, food and water right now. So I'm looking at it. I know there's a um, a perennial creek, stream, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, off to the uh, off to the west. But it's a ways off. It's you know, I think two-and-a-half miles or something like that. So trying to find water closest to Mm -hmm. this area, I did find a little creek that was um, right about a mile to the northeast. Checked it out, went through Google Earth and looked at all the historic pictures. And sometimes it's green, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's dark, so it looks like there's water there. But for for you know sake of not getting boots on the ground before I I, I do this, I'm gonna assume that there is water right there, just to the northeast a little ways, and a few hundred uh-huh. feet down off the mountain. So okay, okay. there's there's some water over there. These deer can be going down to get water there. Looking at this peak, there's a bowl kind of on the north. I have a question. North...
0: I'm I'm sorry, i may yeah. interrupt. Do deer need water? I, I every you know I know in in Arizona. Where it's the desert, they need water because they're eating dead cact, you know, dry cactus. You know, they're eating dry, dry forage. If if the forage has moisture in it, do deer have a water requirement? Because I have heard varying levels of yes and no to that.
1: Yes, uh, they they do need water. They don't need it every day if there's high moisture content in what they're eating, mm-hmm. um, but they do need water to be able to break down and ruminate ruminate that food so um, yeah. they they do need water but they can do it not every day if you're looking at you know mild temperatures and, and high moisture content and what they're uh, what they're eating got it okay. so I, I do like to look at that because California we're hunting you know in September and October when it's hot um, yep. so so definitely I'm always looking for water and food and so looking at this burn kind of the, the back side of this peak, the northeastern side of this peak there's a Mm -hmm. really thick pocket of timber in there in this little Mm -hmm. bowl that did not get Mm -hmm. burned so i'm thinking that's you know northeastern side that that's where these deer are going to be bedding and it's a it's an unburned pocket thick timber it's going to be shaded most of the day um that that's where these deer are going to bed so going okay if there's water down there if there's bedding cover there and this got burned all just below it um you know I think there's gonna be good food there. So I'm gonna concentrate on this area, and I wish I could show you my screen, kind of to the uh, the northeastern part of the peak. Okay. And so looking at that, there's an old road base in there. It looks like you could probably get a road a vehicle somewhere close into there. Um, so I figured I would get on that road system, get to within about a half mile or so, maybe a mile, you get to about a mile of, of where I wanted to get to. Uh-huh. park park, whatever I'm driving, ATV or pickup, walk in in the dark in the morning, get up below where I kind of want to set up and kind of uh-huh. wait as the thermals are still pushing down in the morning. But as light comes, I want to get up on this little rock knob that I think if you can see it, it's, it's kind of just northeast of the peak over there. And if you can get on that knob, as the sun starts to come up and your s- thermals start to switch and they go uphill from you, Mm-hmm. You're gonna have a great view of that kind of ravine in front of that bowl. That's all burnt timber. That's gonna have good forage coming up. You're gonna so have. So you looking at down. Are you view. looking
0: down? The interesting thing about this is the, the burned area is below <laughs> the timber. I I, I yeah. would usually expect the timber up high to be burned and the valley to be not burned, but yeah. this is the opposite. And so are you. And I also naturally might my, my intuition. Not that it's ever made me successful with deer hunting, but my intuition would tell me that the deer are going to be up high, like feeding out in the morning, they'll be up high. But in this case, it looks like the best forage is down in the burn down low. Is that... Yeah. Are you... So are you looking down into the valley more and then... Yeah.
1: So I shared my screen. Can you see me now? It probably won't help the listeners. (laughs) That's all right. But yeah, so I... Yeah, so this is that that pocket that I was talking about, a timber. Mm -hmm. This is that rock that I was talking about. And if you look on um, on Google Earth as well, you can kind of see the topography of it. I can look Mm -hmm. across at all this that burned in here. Look across that, and then I can see into this bedding pocket. So hopefully I'm catching something that's either coming up from water, which would be my assumption is down over over in here right there coming up from water to bed or coming yep. out from feeding and going to bed in the uh, you know early morning hours. And you'll be able to see across all this, be able to see in there. So if I can sit there on that little rock right there and glass across all of this all morning and not yep. see anything, at that point I'm gonna start to get aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so to get aggressive, how I like to hunt, I would pop over the backside of this so that my thermals aren't going down to where the deer potentially are. Um,
0: uh-huh. sorry, the thermals going
1: to be coming up at this point. But anyways, I'll go around the backside of this. So I'm staying out of sight, come up and over and down into this timber pocket, either down through here or down through this and just slow, 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 still hunt it and hoping so that you come up I've on got, the
0: main, you, you come up on the main ridge that's kind of barren, yep. but looking down into that pocket of timber on the, on the north slope that didn't burn.
1: Correct. Correct. And so you're I'd thinking that the deer right are, the, the
0: are going to come up out of that, that valley that burned. They're going to feed down there, and then they're going to come up into the timber and, and, and bed in the timber?
1: Yep, exactly. That's what I think they're going to do. And I think they're going to do that because… you still on it? Yeah. So if, if I can't catch the thing moving, and I've I've been out here, and I know there's, there's beds and tracks and sign mm-hmm. in there, I would slowly walk down there. So right now, thermals, midday, are going to be pushing up, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm sneaking down in there and they hear me, typically a deer's gonna jump up and look and if they can't smell you, they're gonna give you a few seconds to figure out what you are before they take off. So if I can sneak down in there and jump a buck up to Mm -hmm. jump up and look at me for a couple seconds to where I can judge what that deer is and if it's something that I wanna shoot and be able Mm -hmm. to get a shot off, that's enough time for me to figure that out if they can't get my wind. If they've got my wind, you know, there's there's no way I'm not even going to get in there when they're still in there, but hopefully they'll with those be gone. thermals coming up, they'll
0: be gone before you get to them.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that that's what I like to do. If I if I can't, if I'm not being successful at spot and stock, I like to get aggressive in bedding areas, and walk uh-huh. slow and still hunt it with the wind in my favor. And and I, that's how I found some success.
0: Yeah, yeah. The one the one time um, I got a shot on a buck, uh, archery 2019. I had uh, been hiking through an area on a ridge, just kind of a timbered ridge with a few pockets that were open. But anyways, I was just hiking through there scouting. and I bumped a buck in this one spot at like 9, you know, 9, 9.30 in the morning. And um, damn things, it startled the heck out of me because it got up and took off. And I wasn't even thinking about – I was just moving through the area, you know, like a dummy. I wasn't really slowing down and, and focused on – what was in front of me I was going from point A to point B but then I say okay well next weekend I know there's a buck that beds in this area or, or is near near this area so I repeated the exact path that I'd done the next weekend when season opened and um but this time moving slowly and I about right about the same spot that I'd bumped the buck the that it ran ran out of uh the week before I saw there's this big tall you know tall three points i think it's two on one side three on the other just standing there next to a tree the the thermals had flipped they were coming up in my face and i think it had just stood up out of a bed and was just kind of like looking around like okay what is that and um, like 25 yards and of course i it was standing between and beyond two trees and so i'm i'm guessing that uh, either I just made a really bad shot or I clipped a branch as it, as it was going through those trees. Cause the arrow was broken. I mean, so the arrow didn't hit the buck and it was broken. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I clipped a branch. Um, but, uh, I wish I could replicate still to me, still hunting is so hard. Like it's so hard to know if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going slow enough, and um in california of course well anywhere in september it's so dry as you know you're walking on 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 rice krispies <laughs> corn place. oh
1: yeah. yeah there's no quiet about it
0: yeah you just so gotta hope when that when something
1: jumps you're close enough
0: right yeah and it's and it's it's a little sleepy and, and it's still a little groggy on, on what what's uh doesn't know what's going on so in looking at this, would you say this is a migration area, or are these are these resident bucks that just kind of move up and down in yo-yo up and down, you know, from from the ridges to the valleys?
1: S- yeah, I would say in the hunting season that you're gonna have with the zone, they're gonna they're gonna be there, um, but you know, they're they're out of there in the winter time for sure. You know, these these deer get Got pushed it. out, and they'll they can go, you know, either you know north or or just north, but you gotta go east or west, kinda of in a lot of this zone right here. Um, I'd have to really zoom back out and look at it. But I mean, personally, if I was looking at this zone, um, I would be hunting east, I'd be hunting all the way up against the Nevada border. Um, there's, for me, oh, really? I really like that sagebrush country. Um, got it. I, I for, Just for me, the, the way that I like to hunt it, you know, I, I grew up hunting timber, and, and while well, I grew up hunting oaks, you know, kind of oak, open oak savannah and A zone. And then uh-huh. when I moved up to B zone, switched over to timber and, and got to hunting that timber and, and really enjoyed it and learned it. But there's mm-hmm. just something about hunting in that open sagebrush country where you can see and how things just disappear and pop up yeah. out in the middle of the wide open. It, it's just it's so much fun. Um, yeah. So I don't know. If, if I was to hunt that zone, I'd be hunting all the way in the eastern part of it, personally.
0: All the way over there. Even, even during you know, even during archery, you know, or it's an earlier season, you think that, so there's, there, they're, uh, they're everywhere. Or no. <laughs>
1: I think, I think that during during archery, you could, I think you could pattern bucks better in that sagebrush country. You know, those big batch of groups of bucks. Um, uh-huh. If you can get out there and, and get get glass on them and from a long ways away and not bump them, it's a lot harder to, to stock them in that country. But I think mm-hmm. that you could get a pretty good, pretty good pattern on some deer in that in that type of way
0: okay is it is it too is it too early to get out and scout uh high country deer you know throughout california right now is it is it i've been out a lot and i see a few tracks i see a little bit uh, very little fresh sign i see mostly some a few tracks i've seen a few deer but not the same bucks that i see during saw during the season last year um is it just too early
1: um it depends on what you're trying to do when you're scouting um if you're right. trying to see the deer that you want to hunt um, it might be a little bit early um and yeah. you know we we had such a lackluster snow year that mm-hmm. you know I, I would assume the deer are probably getting up there um by now but I mean, if you're just looking at country and looking at topography and, and ground truthing things that you saw e-scouting, I think it's a, you know, there's never a bad time to go scouting. Obviously, if you can get out there, I, I don't have the time yeah. that I used to with a toddler and, and, yeah. and that sort of thing so i wish i could get out there more but no i don't think you're ever doing yourself a disservice by getting boots on the ground i i think that yeah if you're looking at, at trying to find the deer that you want to kill it might be a little bit early and, and i'd probably wait until you know july to get out there for, for a lot of the higher country stuff
0: got it well the the ground the, i like that word the ground truthing um I, I i would say that's what i've been doing successfully is i've been figuring out you know what what i'm looking at on 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 x and google earth and going out and and then seeing and what i i usually find is that my appetite for a space on google earth is far bigger than my legs can carry me in reality when i get there and so it's it's good to say you know i draw this big area of. It's only 16,000 acres, you know, that that I'm looking at. And then I get out there and, and I walk all day and cover nine miles, 10 miles. And I, I, I covered, you know, 1300 acres <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of the elevation and, and all that. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's good. That's a good reality check. Um, you're a biologist. What, what would you ask a biologist for an area like this when you would you reach out to a biologist as a hunter if you're going in a new area would you would you reach out to him and and what kind of things do you do you ask a biologist to to give you some intel
1: yeah no I, i think i think that you should always call the biologist especially if you're drawing a premium zone tag um do everything you can to talk to people and and you know, everyone's going to give you a lot of the same answers, and a lot of people are going to give you a lot of different answers. But in talking to a lot of different people, you can you can get a lot of those different points and and different thoughts, and kind of give yourself some really good areas to focus on. So, if if I was to call a, bi- a biologist, which I you know I've done several times, I just kind of BS with them for a little while, kind of gauge them, gauge if they're hunters, um, right. and then I'll go through and and kind of ask certain questions. But typically, you know ask about, you know, migratory zone. Um, if I have any idea of where the deer are at, you know, should I focus on this area here? Would it be worth my time? You know, is, is there actually seasonal water here? Is this gonna be dry? You know, just helping, helping to figure out some of those types of things. And honestly, if you can ask them, hey, where, where's the deer herd at? You know, if, if you, like, are you guys right now on a upswing or the population been hit pretty hard? You guys are, are, are you know, going on a decline right now? Where's yeah. Where's that at? So just trying to gauge that, and then trying to ask what type of what what caliber of of deer are you normally seeing in this zone. You know what what should I expect to see when I'm trying to uh, to to kill a buck out here? Am I is it something I should hold out for something that's a little more mature, or you know right. it, it's you're seeing a lot of hunters come through with you know two year old forked horns. Uh, so a lot of those types of questions I would ask.
0: Something that I would wonder, like, and look in looking at this area, is because of this fire that's two years old now, or coming up on two years old, I would, I would wonder if the biologists are seeing, you know, positive impacts from that fire on the, on the, on the herd, on the wildlife, or not. Is that something that, yeah. uh, that a, that a regional, you know, a, a biologist with CDFW or, or any other agency in other states would usually have a, have their, their, their finger on?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question to ask, and, and definitely something that they would probably have their finger on. Uh, another, not only you know, not, another biologist that you should contact too is not only the the unit biologist for Department of Fish and mm-hmm. Wildlife, but also whatever land management agency that is, whatever okay. district that is of of you know that land management agency. Reach out to them and, and contact them. A lot of the time, you're dealing with biologists that mainly deal with kind of the ESA stuff, um, mm-hmm. looking at, you know, in, in you know, for Forest Service or BLM, looking at, you know, um, spotted owl um, surveys or yep. fisher surveys or other species of concern. They're not typically doing a ton of game species stuff, but they're going to know a lot of that country and, and what it looks like and, and if they've seen a lot of the animals out there too. So I think that's another good person to contact as well to gauge that exact type of question is, hey, how is this, stuff coming back after it burned is, is there a lot of growth does it seem like the animals are um, you know spending a lot of time in it or are they still pretty pushed away after the disturbance
0: got it so I hadn't even thought of that so Forest Service has their own biologists as well
1: yeah so each each forest of the Forest Service has a, a forest bio and then each okay. district has a district biologist oh wow um, and and those those people all should have, you know, answers to those types of questions.
0: Got it. And it, best to call them, email. I, mean, I it seems like that's you're you're really just going to catch that person through the through the main line. Is it? What's the what's the right approach to, to do it? You know, they get, I'm sure they get so many random calls. What's the, what's the best approach to, to get their ear for a few minutes?
1: Yeah, so COVID's made it tough with a lot of people not being in offices and and not mm-hmm. having you know public cell phone numbers and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of times, email if if you're able to find out who that is and and be able to email them, I think that's probably your best approach. But if you can get to you know a, a, a secretary or an admin person inside one of those districts to at least be able to call them and leave a voicemail or something like that, I think that would be you know. If if you can do that, I think that that would be really successful. But I think right now, with you know a lot of people not being in their offices, it it might be tougher to get that, and email might be your
0: better approach. Got it. So a little bit of a little bit of sleuthing and probably some patience. Um, are you, know, you are you are you willing to tell us a little bit about the uh, the seven year old buck that you took?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that was. So that was a, a a zone, man. I'd waited a long time to draw, and yeah. I, I drew it with my buddy Orlando. And um, God, I put a lot of time a scout again there. I actually, put two cameras up there that both got burned up in a in a fire. Oh no! Which is fun. So uh, yeah, so lost all any data that I had on there because the cameras were just completely toast. Um, so I, I didn't know if I wanted to still hunt that area or not because right you know, something that burned that year that close to the hunt. I was like, man, I don't know what the disturbances is going to look like. And talking with the land management land management agency folks and the bios, no one knew. It's like, okay, I'm going to focus on a different area. So I up focusing on a different area, had it all planned out. I was going to hunt opening weekend. I was going to go home for a week, and then I was going to come back and hunt the entire last week of the season. Okay. And I was – you know, wasn't going to kill anything first couple of days because I wanted, after so right. many years of applying for this tag, to be able to hunt as much as I could. <laughs> Took all right. the entire two weeks off of work. And yeah. uh, um, went up there, hunted Saturday, Sunday, saw a lot of deer, saw some nice, um, well, didn't see any big bucks. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hunt Monday morning, and then I'm going home. Um, so was hunting a new spot that I would kind of, Um, i hadn't actually walked into there yet so it's kind of a scouting hunting mission at the same time and as i'm walking back in there i cut the tracks of this of this buck and they're huge um biggest biggest deer tracks i've ever seen and i've got some pictures of them there on my instagram next to my boot Uh track i have a size 13 boot and they're like (laughs) two-thirds of the length of the boot and so i'm going man there's a hammer of a buck in here i end up Walking through this little valley, end up watching a, a herd of elk through there with a couple of nice bulls in it. It was pretty cool to, to see that. And I'm glassing this one spot. And I actually marked it on my onyx. I was like, okay, I'm going to come back here next week and, and really put some more time into this. So I was actually yeah. going to walk back to the truck, and I was walking a different route just to see new country. And I come up over this rise, and this deer just explodes 40 yards in front of me. And uh, Oh, man. I, I instinctively just pull up my gun, get him in the get the scope, and I can see he's a four point. He's big, yeah. giant gray body on him. Um, yeah, didn't even really just just instantly in my head, I was like, yep, and pull the trigger. And so, he much it. Wait, so much for
0: weight, So much for a weight And I
1: was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like instantly. I, I hadn't even seen the deer. I didn't even know what I killed. And I was like, I had I had remorse. Right. So I was like, oh no, I want to still hunt. And uh, right, you know, it was the best buck I'd ever killed, and it was just a great deer, an old, old buck, big old white face, Roman nose. And he only had two of those front incisors left in his head, he was just an old deer. Um, so it 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 ended up being a great buck, but it was just like, man, I really wanted to hunt longer. Um, yeah, that's yeah, he ended up sending his uh, sending his. Teeth off the two insiders that were left in his head to Matt's uh-huh. laboratory, and they aged him at, at seven years old. So it's
0: pretty cool. For California, that's in that's in that's like as old as they get. It seems like I mean we we don't have a whole lot of older age class <laughs> bucks in California
1: yeah you know, that was that was by far you know the oldest buck i've ever killed it was pretty cool
0: that's cool was he in the fire zone or was he on the perimeter of the fire zone what i mean how how was he in relation to that because so many people just you know they, they they hear about a fire in their area and they're like ah for, you know that's it's it's like the you know it's the end of the game for them but it seems like that's not necessarily true yeah
1: no, well, I, I, you know, with it, like I said, burning that close to the hunt, I, I just didn't know, you know. So I actually hunted a sure. different part of the zone, more of a okay. timbered part of the zone instead of the sagebrush okay. country. And uh, and I actually killed that buck in an older burn that burned in 2012. Um, Got it. So it, it was a seven-year-old burn when I was hunting it. And yeah. uh, he was in uh, kind of on the outer edge of the fire. There was a little pocket of green timber. That hadn't burned with burnt around it and a whole bunch of forage out there, and he was kind of right on the edge of that green pocket, bedded down in a in a, uh, in a little bit of deadfall, and just freaking exploded out of there. I've never seen a deer just do that in front of me. It was it was wild.
0: Did he blow out really and funny. then look do do give you the shoulder look, it give you the over the shoulder view that you had a had a second opportunity on or? Or do you just have a really good uh, you know, running he shot?
1: No, did not. And, and <laughs> it was, you know, it's it's not a good thing to admit, but yeah, I shot him at a full run, um, and eh. just was lucky enough, to be honest, to to drop him. Well, so
0: um, very luck, lucky. There. Luck comes, luck comes with uh, if you've been doing, if you've been shooting small game and birds and uh, deer for you know since you're nine years old or five years old or whatever. That's you can you can build a lot of your own luck in doing that too. So, yeah, it was cool. a
1: uh, you know I, I did, I've done a lot of waterfowl and 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 quail hunting where you kind of you know especially quail you got to do that quick snapshot and so yep. I think that helped you with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. That's great. So you got some hunting planned this year?
1: I do. You know, uh, not I mean I'll be I'll be hitting D three through five here in California just because it's my local zone. Um yep. And I've I've been very fortunate to be pretty successful on that with a couple of my uh good buddies in in some backcountry spots but um i the wife and i both drew antelope tags in wyoming this year so we're gonna hook the trailer up and bring the toddler out and and have a good time with a couple of friends and um, i think there's gonna be a couple of juniors that have some tags with us so it'll be a lot of fun um antelope's a, a freaking blast man it's something that you should definitely do um and then a group of friends that uh that i hunt in colorado with we drew our, our colorado deer tags this year for third season which is really oh, late this year this is the November year 13th through the 19th so very excited yeah. about that yeah so very excited about that and then uh i was lucky enough to draw a cow elk tag so i've got uh, i've got some really good out-of-state tags oh this year that i'm very excited about
0: yeah you do yeah i i just yeah. now this year have started to 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 get points built up in some other States. Um, I went to Arizona last winter this last January for their over the counter hunt, and, and that's where I, I learned like here, I'm California, high back country, you know, committed to that. And then I went down there and, and saw the desert and it just opened my eyes up completely to what, what the desert can be. You know, it's, it doesn't, it's so much different when you're actually walking through it and seeing, you know this is not flat terrain it's got ripples and folds and 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 contours that that do all kinds of things for hiding hiding animals and um so that was pretty cool but i I've started to 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 gather points in a few states and i figure um you know if i can do one starting a couple years from now if i can start doing one really good out-of-state hunt or good not really good just a good out-of-state hunt. Each year, then, then uh, you know, I'll kind of have a rotation of of something exciting to do every every year across a few different states. So that's, yeah, that's man, the game it, plan. it will
1: it will benefit you very muchly. That that's an investment that is is gonna pay off big time, and that's yeah. something that I've yeah I've been fortunate enough to do since like 2000. I've been putting in for I don't know four or five states since like 2011, and uh, nice. yeah, it's it's. I mean I love I love California I love hunting California the the challenge and and the the country and kind of having the history of it with my family and and all that yeah. is so much fun and I freak out on it every year but um hunting out of state is just a wild experience because there are a lot more animals and it's just a, it, it's so much fun man so yeah. um, when when you do draw one of those good out of state tags it it's yeah you get addicted to it and you want to do it every year.
0: Yeah, no, it's exciting. So, yeah, on that, my goal, 10 years from now, I want our herds to look like that, like what we see in some of those other states. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible, no, but it would be so cool if we can, if we can move, move the pendulum that direction, it would be cool. Um, you know, we're, we're coming up on, uh, about 90 minutes. I, 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 promise you 90. So, um, I think, I think we can, we can close out, um, i i just i'm so grateful for for the time that you've you've given me and and the fact that you're willing to come on both as a hunter and as a professional uh to share some wisdom with with what's really a new kind of a new platform in 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 the state um super super appreciative of it and and thank you um I, i think everybody needs to go out and drop the $35 to pick up a $25 Bass Pro, <laughs> Pro Shops to coupon code. And um, and in, in, in doing so, <laughs> you know, support NWTF uh, and, and learn more about what you guys are doing. Because truly, um, you guys are doing some incredible, you know, boots on the ground habitat improvement. And uh, it's, I, I've i spent some time in Elrod National Forest and, and I can see where it's having an effect. And so, and I've seen turkeys. At that 3,500 foot level, um, while I was out scouting for deer, so I know, oh, I yeah. know, I know the big game and the, the the upland game and the turkey habitat all intersect, and so um, love what you guys are doing. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, man. I I really appreciate it. the pleasure. is all mine. I uh I, I'm really a big fan of what you're trying to do here and and getting the word out to the hunting community and and I think that like you said I like your optimism and and I think we all can get behind that and make a difference. So so thank you. Yep. I, I really appreciate it and love to uh, talk to you anytime.
0: Cool, Kevin. Thank you so much. Take care, and uh, maybe I will see you out there amongst the other thirty. 2988 hunters in D 3 to five <laughs> <laughs> sounds good buddy. take care yeah take care man we'll see you okay well that was a great 90 minutes if you're still with me thank you kevin vela was an outstanding first guest and i'm really stoked to have been able to cover so much ground with him. the nwtf National Wild Turkey Federation is a great organization here in California and nationwide. Go to their website and check out the work that they're doing. And you'll see some stories that are absolutely demonstrate what conservation means in terms of wildlife management that benefits hunters, but more importantly, benefits the wildlife that we love. I can't encourage you enough to join NWTF. I challenge you to go to their website and join. For $35, you'll get the benefits of supporting an awesome conservation organization in California, and you get a $25 Bass Pro discount code. I know that every one of us can spend 25 bucks at Bass Pro. The net cost is $10, and your funds quickly get converted into action, policy support, and habitat improvement. All right, so Hunting Ain't Easy podcast, episode four, is in the books. Please follow and share Hunting Ain't Easy at Instagram and follow us on Spotify, Podbean, Audible, or Google. Look forward to more California hunting content. It's on the way, folks. Thank you so much.